Uh, this is a poem uh, called Kids Who Die by Langston Hughes from 1938. This is for the kids who die, black and white. For kids will certainly die. The old and rich will live on a while, as always, eating blood and gold, letting kids die. Kids will die in the swamps of Mississippi organizing sharecroppers. Kids will die in the streets of Chicago organizing workers. Kids will die in the orange groves of California telling others to get together. Whites and Filipinos, Negroes and Mexicans, all kinds of kids will die. Who don't believe in lies and bribes and contentment and a lousy peace. Of course, the wise and the learned who pen editorials and papers and the gentlemen with doctor in front of their names, black and white, who make surveys and write books, will live on weaving words to smother the kids who die, and the sleazy courts, and the bribe-reaching politicians, and the blood-loving generals, and the money-loving preachers, will all raise their hands against the kids who die, beating them with laws and clubs and bayonets and bullets to frighten the people. For the kids who die are like the iron in the blood of the people, and the old and the rich don't want the people to taste the iron of the kids who die. Don't want the people to get wise to their own power, to believe in Angelo Herndon, or even get together. Listen, kids who die, maybe now there will be no monument for you except in our hearts. Maybe your bodies will be lost in a swamp, or a prison grave, or a potter's field, or the rivers where you drowned like Leibniz. But the day will come, you are sure yourselves that it is coming, when the marching feet of the masses will raise you a living monument of love and joy and laughter, and black hands and white hands clasped as one, and a song that reaches the sky, the song of the life triumphant through the kids who die. Comrades and friends, hello. Um, we're in the Shadow Rockford Tower behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. I am here with Carl, as always, and our guest today uh, is Tracy Murphy. Tracy is the executive director of the Delaware Coalition Against Gun Violence and also the proprietor of the Brandywine Buzz uh, website on the Internet. Um, Tracy, thanks for coming today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, let's start just, I, I like to get a little bit of background. Like, how, how did you get into political advocacy? Um, how did you find yourself doing that kind of, um, that kind of work? Because it's, uh, it's important, but it's quite specialized. It, you know, it is, and it's not a path I ever thought I would take. I um, grew up always wanting to be on the other side. I, I studied journalism um, in college and was eager to become a, a frontline journalist until I was one for about an hour and thought, oh, wow, this turns out isn't what I want to do. And I turned myself into just a general communications writer. And I did tons of freelance communications work over the years. I worked um, largely in the arts and culture space in Delaware for a long time. And, um, and I became an advocate for gun violence prevention um, on the day that the Sandy Hook tragedy happened and a room full of first grade children were killed. And my daughter at the time was a first grader. And she got off the bus and I said, how was school today? And she said, boring. And I thought, what a gift. My kid had a boring day. And that, then I became an advocate. Yeah, that's, that's it's interesting because I remember 
where I was when I kind of became aware that this was going to be like a big problem because younger people may not remember, but, um, you know, there was violent crime when I grew up, you know, it, you know, it happened. It went, it actually went down, uh, quite a bit through the, through the eighties and nineties. Um, but there wasn't this, we didn't have this mass shooting problem really. There wasn't a thing. No, there, there was, was a, a c- there was a time before yeah. the mass shooting crisis, and Cor- and and my children don't know what that's like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's actually two big reasons for that, but I do want to say that the one that hit me, I remember sitting at my desk at like uh, First USA in Wilmington, and I want to say '99. Somebody will check me on the date, but it was the Columbine one, and it was mm-hmm. the first one where I was like, kind of sick. It made you sick. Because you're like, well, that they're just mowing people, un- unarmed, defenseless people down for no reason. And, and you know, you kind of like, ugh. And then it happened again and again and again and again and again and again and again. <clears throat> and we had the same conversations. Um, and then the one at Sandy Hook happened. And unfortunately, the one at Sandy Hook sort of like clicked. I have a very cynical, nihilistic streak, you know. And I went, you know we're clearly not going to take any action. And if you don't take any action and there's a pile of first graders <clears throat> in a school, then I, I really, I have hard time believing we'll do anything at all because it's so sick. I, you know, I think that's true. And I hear that a lot, right? Nothing has happened since Sandy Hook. But the truth is a lot has happened at, since Sandy Hook, just not at the federal level. States have taken up the mantle since Sandy Hook and beyond to become significantly safer and and i think the biggest change since sandy hook is that when when you look at at the gun lobby the nra the national short uh sports shooting foundation when you look at those groups their numbers are declining and the advocacy for gun safety numbers are growing and partially that's because every time there's a mass shooting which is every day right now you galvanize entire communities to become on the side of gun safety. And I think a, a, the biggest shift in all was um, the the Parkland kids because they stood up for themselves in a way that we hadn't seen children stand up before. And I think their willingness to galvanize, their willingness to draw attention to this issue and to put it in the hands of students and students locally who were willing to grab onto that and say, yeah, I am going to walk out of my school. That was a real shift, um, I think, in the momentum of, of the advocacy movement. And as a mom, I'm just here saying, I just want to put my kids to bed alive. That's my job. I have one job, safe and healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, it's taken it to happen again and again and again and grow the, the movement. So now that we're at a place where um, some of that organ- organizing and advocacy is going to bear some some results, some good results. Um, but just quickly back to the first point we were making. Um, you know, I'm in my late 40s. Um, it, this wasn't like this. And one of the reasons is I grew up around guns. You know, my grandfather, my uncle, my dad had guns. Um, but, you know, we weren't allowed to touch them. <clears throat> and we couldn't even point toy guns at each other because it just was p- bad safety. And you had to have a license and a permit. And you had all of that stuff. 
And well, wait, where did you have to have a license and a permit? Well, in Delaware, I know, and maybe it's because they 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 were they were hunters. Yes, that is why. Uh, and so that's why they were. So I don't know, but I was always under the impression that, and maybe that's why they they made this impression that it wasn't like a tool. Like you went and, and you had a you were licensed to have this and go use it. And for a specific that, purpose. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now my grandfather had, which my, my dad, because uh, it's old and it's pretty neat. I hope I hope to uh, to get it one day, but it's an th- old thirty eight revolver, and they don't even make those anymore. So he had that for, like, home protection, and that's it. So it was, like, hunting, different kinds of hunting, duck hunting, deer hunting. You know, and we find protection. in Delaware that the hunting community tends to be incredibly supportive of gun safety. Yeah. Because um, they recognize that with rights come responsibilities. Um, I, but I think, we're, you know, there's there's nothing about my work that is anti-gun. We're anti-gun violence. Yeah. And we recognize that other states, other best practices exist to show us the way to make Delaware safer. And I have no doubt that we can get there. Um, and we don't actually even really have to work that hard because we have worked really hard to elect people who get it. Yeah. And, and for and and for a long time. You know, uh, you know, semi-automatic uh, rifles were not available for uh, at all. Um, they were banned for ten years, and we didn't have these. So there is an obvious <laughs> correlation between these things. Uh, you know, you look at them all together, and you're like, well, yeah, that's that's why this is a, a fairly new phenomenon. It's not like we, yeah. you know, schools always had mm. multiple doors. Uh, we always had <laughs> door control now. Yeah, we've always had uh, we've always had mental illness. They have kids with mental illness and people with mental illness in other countries and doors and doors and on schools, schools in doors. other countries. All of this stuff is happens, and so um, yeah, I mean there's a common denominator. Uh, we've seen it work, and and you know now's the time. I, I think um, yeah, I mean it's just. I don't think anybody, and maybe this is a good time for you to get into exactly what right now um, is is being considered in, in Dover at the legislature. Because I think you said hunters before, but even gun owners I know that just have owned guns because they grew up that way, they have no problem having a license or, or having a waiting period or having a background check. Zero problem whatsoever. You know, this morning I was at a constituent coffee um, for my state rep, my new state rep, now that I've been redistricted. And... Um, a woman there said, well, what do you think about illegal guns? And I said, tell me what you mean by illegal guns. And she said, unregistered guns. And I said, all guns in Delaware are unregistered. We have no gun registry. There is no purchase record kept. So I, I think there's a there's an opportunity for groups like mine, for, oppor- for, for organizations like yours, to do a better job of informing people about what the baseline of responsibility is. This woman was shocked to hear that every gun in Delaware, to her definition, was an illegal gun. No guns are registered here. How, how are we justifying that? Right? So I think that's something we need to consider. But, but that's not part of one of the policies that they're considering taking up right now. Um, last week, Governor Carney, leadership of the Senate and leadership of the House, came together in a big way and announced a platform of six policies that they are going, they have promised to move through the process. We have 12 legislative days left, so let's see how it goes. Um, But Senator Sarah McBride posted on her social media and and message to me personally that she thinks this is the most historic uh, gun safety policy shift ever in Delaware. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. 
Well, can you give us some give us some of the give some of the, the bullet points of those six? Sure. Um, and let me let me frame this in a certain way. We believe at the Coalition Against Gun Violence that we need to question and we need to do a better job of questioning the kinds of weapons we sell and to whom. And um, I also want to make the point to your to your listeners and for the rest of this conversation that we're not anti-gun, we're anti-gun violence. And so when we look at that, we have to recognize, well, many people are safe and responsible gun owners. Um, and people will often come back and say, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And I say that's sort of a false equivalency, right? Because both matter. The means matter as well as the person. And that's why we think... We need to do a better job questioning the kinds of weapons we sell and to whom. And six of the policies um, do a great job of addressing that. One of the policies that they are uh, moving quickly on is the discontinuation of the sale of assault-style weapons. I'm not an expert in assault weapons, and and people love to do the, like, gotcha, where yeah, they say, you know, not, what tell is me AR what an assault weapon. Right. Yeah, those people uh, are those, yeah, those I'm people not, stupid. I'm not. <laughs> you yeah. said it, not me. Uh, right. I mean, this um, is why I'm here. I'm here to I say that it. kind of stuff. Yeah. Because yeah, it doesn't matter if you know. Like, you don't need to know. You don't need to know that. I uh, I certainly don't. I'll, what I recognize is that guns are three to five times as lethal as other means of violence, and ARs shoot at three to four times the speed of handguns. So you know that tells me that these are the deadliest of deadly weapons, and therefore maybe we should consider regulating them in a different way. If I were going to war in Afghanistan, you would not send me with a hunting rifle. Ditto for what I'm doing here at home. If I'm trying to defend my home, if I'm trying to shoot a deer, if I'm a hobbyist, there's no reason that I need an assault-style weapon built for the battlefield. Yeah, so that's I, the that's the that's first an, policy. What do you do? I, and I only stop now because, okay. uh, because it's a discontinue of sale. Is is there an... Do we address the, the number out there now because it's it's enormous i mean i don't know what the numbers are in delaware but i know the numbers nationwide are are enormous for the assault, assault style ar style you know armalite and all the different deviations of it um like uh, do do we try to address that or do we just have to say we're drawing a line and that's that you know at some point i think you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. we have an agreement from existing leadership in the chambers that have the power to enact change that they are willing to discontinue the sale. So I say tightening that policy by making it retroactive is a problem for another day. You know, we will we will take what we can get in this moment to achieve the prevention of future crimes. I will also say that there is pretty good data, and I'm not a data expert, but I'm an expert at finding people who are data experts. There's pretty good data out there that indicates that the time to crime for the purchase of a weapon is around six months. So so, so assault-style weapons that have been sold prior to six months from now, there's an indicator that they are not likely going to be used in a crime. And so I think we can look historically at the discontinuation of sales as a really good measure. Because in general, gun violence and particular mass shootings tend to be impulsive, erratic approaches to, you know, a, a, a crisis. And so we will see a time to crime of around six months. So in general, it sounds terrible. There's all these assault weapons out there, but actually it might not be so bad. 
and you yeah, have to start sense. somewhere. Yeah, no, and, and I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, a lo- the, the the lion's share of these are sort of like somebody's in, somebody's either in a downward spiral about some political nonsense or or race nonsense, or they're just in a downward spiral in their mind. We've seen a lot of like people acting out towards Asians for some reason, which doesn't you know, make any sense. Rob, I want to thank you for that statement because I think that what I often hear is, "Oh, it's a mental health problem," and sure. A downward spiral is probably what it really is, but hate is not a mental illness. Anger is not a mental illness. Impulsivity is not a mental illness. And we need to recognize that when we talk about mental illness, the people who have a a categorical mental illness are far more likely to be the victim of a crime than the perpetrator. And it's really important that we don't let that message go awry. Everyone wants to blame something else for gun violence. But I'm pretty sure it's the guns. No, and, and I, I agree with you. I'm glad you made that point. I make a similar point when we talk about sort of um, getting um, uh, getting people who maybe are unhoused uh, or have uh, abuse, uh, substance abuse issues in the street because people think that they're inherently sort of like not, not unsafe or, or violent, and they're not. Um, the, the vast majority of people that have uh, mental illness are not violent. They're not going to do violence. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, a sort of a, it's, it, it, I mean, we, we pointed out as, uh, in, in the context of that time to violence category, because it's like a sort of a, sort of a, a downward move, whether it's a political idea or illness. Um, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense that, that, that the discontinuation of sales would impact at an even greater rate, this stuff, because people who have long term, who these have these things long term are much, much, much less likely to do anything with them. So. Yeah, that's true. So so along that same vein of, of regulating and questioning the kind of weapons we sell, we're also um, resurrecting Senate Bill 6, which passed through the Senate last spring, went back to the House. The House amended it, sent it back to the Senate. The Senate is going to strip some of those amendments, make a couple of new ones, um, and they're doing that tomorrow on the Senate floor. So the first of these policies will will start to move on the first day of June in legislative terms. Um, and, and we'll see what else we get done over the next 12. But but they are starting strong in the Senate with um, with the resurrection and, and sort of re- restoration of Senate Bill 6 to be as strong as it possibly can be right now in Delaware to um, ban large capacity magazines. And that's magazines over the capacity of 17 rounds. That number is because of um, some understanding with uh, you know, the parties in play, parties who are doing this negotiating around um, the capacity of service weapons for the Delaware State Police, I believe. And so um, they're sending that back. So that, to me, those are sort of the two big policies that look at the kinds of weapons we sell. And I believe if you take a, if you take a harder look at the policy, and we'll have to see what comes back from the Senate tomorrow, um, that policy also includes a mandatory turn-in. So we're not asking folks to mandatory turn in assault weapons, but we are asking for that on the magazine side. And we really want to limit capacity. And you only have to look at Las Vegas, right, to see what capacity, what kind of damage large capacity can do. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is that people, um, hunters understand this. You know, when they go out and hunt a duck, you can only have, so you, you're, because it's it's ridiculous just to mow down animals. Um, well, so the only reason you would have that is um, just 
for nefarious purposes. Perpetrate so, mass violence. Yeah, I mean, that's there's no there's no question about that. We couldn't agree more. And frankly, um, that policy is primed in the House by Representative Namdi Chukwocha, who is so passionate about the city of Wilmington and protecting kids in the city. And he says, you know, he looks out of his window and he sees kids, kids carrying with large capacity clips. And he just, as a veteran, he says, what is the point of this? And he really is the... Um... Well, now we're going to have our first point of contention. <laughs> okay, um, tell me more. So, we, I, we, I mentioned earlier about all of, sort of, all of these different factors that sort of come into it. People sort of need to, under, to put all those things together to understand it. Um, I've contended many times in here and elsewhere that you know, the violence that we're taught, when people talk about like where Namdi's from and what the violence is, or it's in the newspaper or the East Side, Riverside, violence, violence, violence in Wilmington. And maybe I'm a little bit um, jaded because I live here. <clears throat> we're not talking about the same kind of, the, the, the impetus for the violence that's happening there is far different than the sort of the random mass acts that are perpetrated for you know a, a number of different reasons, but uh, that people go to soft targets to kill as many people as possible. Oh, I agree. All of that. It's completely and and so I I, I do think that has to be sort of understood in, in some fashion, um, because the things that and and you can fin I, I want you to finish the, the list, but I think the the sale the, the 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 legal sale of certain things or putting things in categories and backing down what you can get great idea. Um, the the owning of magazines over a certain size and turning those in great idea, but the passing hand to hand within inner city cohorts of nine millimeter of three eighties of of handguns is an completely different animal in my opinion and I don't know whether some of these other things are sort of address that I know that the AG has just done the big uh, the big sting operation where they took a bunch they took sort of a I guess it was a straw purchase network down which is fine that's good I don't want you know people shooting each other near where I live but but I do feel like that is if is a is a is quite different than some of the other things that we're talking about. And it has to be sort of understood in a different way and sort of addressed in a, the solution should be different. I think that's true. Um, and, and to your point, gun violence is a complex problem. And so, of course, the solutions are complex. Um, so let me get back. We're getting off topic. So I want to get back to the specific six policies we're talking about now. But after that, we're going to talk about the different categories of gun violence and the different approaches that are recommended for each. So I talked about the two policies that regulate the kind of weapons we sell. The next two are going to be, and, and I'm sorry, there's a third. There is a new converter switch that you can add to a handgun that turns it into a semi-automatic, and we're going to ban those as well. That's a new item that's coming to market or is already on the market. Um, it goes by a couple of different names, and I think one of them is a giggle switch. Ha ha, so funny. So um, that's a policy on the kind of weapons we sell. Two of the policies that they're floating now are about who we sell those weapons to. And one of them raises the minimum age of purchase to 21. You already have to be 21 to buy a handgun, but now we want you to be 21 to buy a long gun, a hunting weapon, etc. Um, and there are some carve-outs in the policy with respect to, um, for example, someone in the military. If you've entered the military, obviously you are 
trained on uh, handling a weapon. We feel better about letting you buy a weapon at 19 than we do about, you know, some kid who, who just graduated high school or maybe hasn't graduated high school yet, right? We feel better about that. So there are some carve outs in that policy, but ultimately raising the minimum age just makes good sense in terms of brain science. We know for sure about the adolescent brain and we recognize with no question that adolescents are particularly tuned to risk. The reward center in their brain congratulates them all the time on risky behavior. And I won't ask the question of anyone in this room what risky behaviors they enacted or they participated in between the ages of 18 to 21. But let's just say we know between that they the were out there. Of, between the ages of, of 16 and 36. Right, okay. You, you but say yes, we, I, I, tomato, yeah, tomato. I take your point. So so um, that's a really, I think, a smart policy. And I think we'll see some folks who don't normally engage in gun violence prevention work coming off the bench on that one because the brain science is so clear. And then... Um, there's a policy called FTAP, which is uh, the Firearms Transaction Policy. And they are going to strengthen the existing NICS background check by bringing it internal to the state of Delaware. So it can be more seamlessly blended in with Delgis and other systems that more readily identify persons prohibited in the state of Delaware that might fall through the cracks on a NICS background check. To me, that's a policy um, with that that was going to sail through even before these recent tragedies. Um, I, I think that we have a real responsibility to look harder at, again, a permitting or a licensing process or something that requires a much more comprehensive criminal background check for people who want to own a deadly weapon. And I know that that's possible in Delaware because I had to get Fingerprinted and background checked to chaperone the eighth grade field trip a couple weeks ago. So I know that when people believe that something is in danger or in jeopardy and, and kids on in schools, I guess, are, are that category, we will allow people, we will mandate people get fingerprinted and background checked. So I know that over time we will get that policy done, but that's not one of the things we're talking about right now. Um, so we talked about the three kinds of weapons that they're regulating, the two different policies that regulate who gets those weapons. And then finally, there is a really wonky policy talking about um, the the immunity um, for the gun industry. In 2005, the Protection Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, also known as PLACA, was um, enacted in Congress, which freed gun makers from liability for their products killing people, which, of course, opened the floodgates to innovation, right? Because all of a sudden, if you can't be held liable, let's create any crazy fakakta nonsense we can come up with and and see what happens. And look, lo and behold, they managed to sell those weapons. Um, so, so talking about um, shining a brighter light on the immunity here in Delaware um, and, and protecting Delaware families in a way that offers them some you know, litigation opportunities is what is what that final policy is. And that's, again, it's a wonky policy that I don't think will immediately address the concerns that that have stemmed out of shootings in Buffalo or Uvalde or, you know, an, any other number of places. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the way because I I was a little bit uh, when you first started explaining it, you know, not sure about it, but. When you when you say that really what that did 
is just expand sort of innovation to make a more deadly shoot faster all of that stuff like that's the problem like sure i think it's it's actually and i think what we're doing is doing it is just drawing a line there's already weapons you can't have mm-hmm. there's guns you're not allowed to buy because they're too dangerous Totally. Um, you know, that's just what it is. And we we actually uh, allowed it. We went a little too far, number one. Number two, uh, as you said, we've allowed gun manufacturers to come up with, like, gadgets and gizmos to basically give you a weapon that we already said you couldn't have because it's just too dangerous. And this is where we are. And, I, and, and you know, I, I hope that these sort of common sense things start to get people. Well, uh, and, and this one wonky policy is the way that we can use capitalism to protect communities. Right. That's the way we do it. We retroactively recognize that. Well, if you know, and, and, I, and I saw a headline that came over today earlier that the federal government is looking at a thousand percent tax on assault weapons. They're not banned. Go ahead and buy them. But you're going to be taxed at a thousand percent. Yeah. Well, I, my my idea was will... always my idea was always uh, something. I don't know if this comes up in sort of advocacy circles, but just like insurance or having to register oh it every gosh. year. Gosh, I talk about it all. Well, but again, there's no registry at all. So how could you have somebody register something every year right. when they well, never registered it ever? Correct. Obviously, so it wouldn't be something you putting, could immediately you, do. Right. 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 But I but I think I think about that. Right. If I put a trampoline in my backyard, my homeowner's insurance goes up. If I have a pool in my backyard, my homeowner's insurance goes up. Well, why is that? Because those are things that are dangerous for kids and families. And I have to pay a premium to have access to that in my home. Um, similarly, I have, I have three teenagers, and I can tell you what car insurance looks like. Teenagers are riskier people. They are inexperienced, and they have immature brains. Right? Let's talk about that in terms. And I, and I think that's a real opportunity, again, to have capitalism solve some of this problem for us. Um, yeah, I hate that idea. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, anything that has to do. I mean, I'd be real upfront with you. Anything that has to do with like leveraging the markets or having consumers like make the choices. I don't like any of that um, because I feel like that's actually what got us in. We're not going to be able to use it. To fix it when it's the thing, it's one of the major, and I think you, you know, you sort of, um, you said it straight out. You know, the lack of regulation has allowed people as consumers to go out and buy like weird products. And so I want to be very, but I don't, I don't think those are workable ideas. I think those are hedges because people don't want, they want to hear something like, like you're, you know, people want to hear like, "Oh, it's still the free market, it's still capitalism. That's fine." I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. I think that that probably, and I don't only because I don't think that will fix anything. I think that's a political strategy argument that sort of gets people on board. Um, I, I don't think that'll fix anything. So I will tell you what I think will fix things, um, and the reason I know this is because it has it has done good. the The combination of these methods have improved circumstances in places like Camden, Hartford, Boston, right? We can recognize what works in other places and see if we can't apply those same principles to what we're doing here in Delaware. And so what we know for sure, what works best and what the best evidence tells us is that safest cities and the safest states share three things. And it's like this three-legged stool. We need community intervention programs that are well-funded and well-run. Funded with fidelity, not funded to fail. So if we're going to invest in 
uh, a gun violence or a group violence prevention initiative in the city of Wilmington, we can't give them one year of funding and say, prove that it worked. You can't solve a systemic problem in a year, right? So we need to fund these programs with fidelity and make sure that the people running them are compensated fairly so that they continue to run these programs and they're not just always out looking for another job, right? Um, The second thing we need is strong investments in prevention programming, prevention ed from, you know, from the cradle. We need to start talking to parents in the delivery room about gun violence prevention and how to protect kids from gun violence. And the reason I say that, because clearly we need to protect more than kids, right? We also need to protect adults. We need to protect communities. And I recognize that it's not just kids who die from gun violence. But when you get parents involved and you get kids involved, you start to see real identifiable change. Look at the litter bug campaign. You know, kids were the ones who went to their parents and broke their cigarettes in half and told them and flushed them down the toilet, right? The ki- when you get the kids involved, you find that it's a it's a little more irresistible, right? Kids are recession proof. Look around. Historically, mom will sacrifice her own haircut if it means her kid can go to soccer practice. It's just what parents do. Not all parents, but many parents. And so I think once we get the kids involved, um, we will see change. And so we need to start with prevention education at the very earliest possible time. And then we need good policies, strong policies to prevent guns from getting into the wrong hands in the first place. So when you have a combination of those three metrics, you see communities and states get safer. So the good news is we know what works. And now what we need is to find leaders with the political will and the courage to act. And, and, and in some cases, we have those people right now. And I only need to point to the evidence that came out of the governor's office last week that people are willing to come together. Are they the strongest policies we'll ever see? Maybe not. But they are incredibly strong and they are incredibly timely. And I'm proud of Delaware for making big moves um, in a short time. Uh, we don't always see that happen. We don't always see it happen in response to national tragedies. But this time we are seeing it. And you will not catch me being ungrateful for that. Well, I want to put a pin in one thing uh, because I think we're going to come back to it at the end. Um, but I'm not as familiar with, and I know that they had a, a big overhaul in sort of just safety in Hartford, but I'm not as familiar with it as I am in Camden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Camden, one of the like the most important things they did is they completely defunded the police. And they brought in basically like county police just to come and do sort of a different strategy um, that kind of uh, it, w- it dovetailed into the strategy you're talking about, about funding, um, fully funding over time um, community outreach organizations Absolutely. and just things like that. So I, I think there's a there's there's a there's a there's a there's a, a scale there where one when one end one end is is inherently violent and creates more safety problems and one doesn't. So we can take a little off this end and push that one up. But we'll we'll talk about that at the end. Well, and and to the point of Camden, and I think this is an interesting exercise. When you've got ten minutes, Google, will you, the how to buy a handgun in New Jersey, and then Google how to buy a handgun in Delaware. And so, coming back to the conversation we were talking about about community violence and specifically the kind of violence we see in the city of Wilmington, um, and that's bleeding into the city of Dover and this weekend in Dewey Beach. I mean, come on. You know, that that hotbed of crime. Um, 
what we're seeing is that's community violence and community violence is largely handguns and a lot of that is straw purchases although i want to draw a distinction a straw purchase is when you know someone someone finds someone to buy a gun for them right i'm person prohibited but i get my brother to walk into a gun store with me he's not prohibited he buys the gun and he gives it to me in the parking lot i pay him back venmo right that's a straw purchase I argue that what we see in the city of Wilmington with guns being passed from one person to another for cash is sort of an unintentional, it's a circumstantial purchase, right? I want to buy concert tickets and I either buy them at Ticketmaster and I get online or I buy them in the parking lot, right? I I think there's a real um, commerce opportunity for underground markets for things. And and so I think that that, um, addressing the the community violence in Wilmington is a different kind of category. And I think that's what you were referring yeah, to so, earlier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly so, right. So I think, think there's a, there's other there's other factors involved um that that sort of need to be addressed. And I think you you said one of them perfectly. You know, there's there's straw purchases and, and I'm I don't know enough about the AG's case that they just did where they took down sort of the ring and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of people involved. I, I don't know enough about that to comment on it, but I, I just don't, you know, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I don't I, know whether that, that makes any difference in, 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 in the east side and riverside today. Well, if I, somebody I sees somebody will, they have a beef with. This I mean, is what will make that difference. So, so t- let's look at another scenario. For example, I right now decide I need to make a little money. Right. I'm I'm gonna hit my rent a little low. I gotta go make a little money. I'm gonna go buy a handgun. I'm not a person prohibited. I go buy a handgun for five hundred dollars and I walk down to some street corner and I sell it for five fifty. And I walk into a different gun store and I buy another one and I do it again and I do it again. And over the course of a day, I've made four or five hundred dollars in cash transactions in and out because I don't need a comprehensive criminal background check to do that. I haven't had to go get fingerprinted. I haven't had to do an in-person appearance before law enforcement. So all of these steps that other states have taken to prevent guns from running into circulation in their cities are not prevented here. So people love to say, oh, criminals are always going to find the guns. That's why we're choking off the supply. They're always going to find the guns unless we choke it off at the supply level. And that's what a permit to purchase scheme would do. And that's why those policies work in places like Camden and Hartford and Newark, New Jersey. That's why those states are safer from city violence, community violence, which is, I think, what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I, and, and just at a at the at the common level, I mean, the argument that we shouldn't pass a law because only criminals would break it is is absurd um yeah i mean that's what that's the definition of it correct um so like yeah that's uh, people who say that aren't just they aren't thinking um and let me and let me say one thing before we get because i I do want to talk briefly about how um one of the things that kept uh the situation from getting as bad as it has been in the last 20 years was this idea that the Second Amendment, anybody can get anything they want, sort of like a free-for-all. And it wasn't always the case. And I, and I asked people to go read the Heller decision. Uh, the year is slipping my mind. It was written by, you know, one of the, uh, one of the proto, 
uh, sort of first lunatics, uh, first of this reactionary batch of lunatics, um, Tony Scalia. I was just going to say it's a Scalia decision. Yeah, it's a Scalia decision. Yeah. And, and it's very clear that guns have been regulated and should be, that we never really had a, a you know, the Second Amendment was never looked at as an absolute for 200 years. Um, and even in the Heller decision, it makes it pretty clear that it still isn't. No. Um, so I, I, I asked people to read that and, and just sort of understand that it hasn't always been this way. Um, so we're not really talking about overturning um, some long-standing tradition. Um, this is a fairly new phenomenon with fairly new machines that kill at a, at a, at a really rapid rate. And so we should all ground ourselves in that sort of idea. And we also need to recognize that nothing in the Constitution is absolute. If it were, I couldn't vote. Right. So yeah. come on. Well, I, even as written, I mean, every, everybody sort of says oh, this is a poorly written thing, you know, and it was about militias and it does say regulate and, and, and all of that. Like, yeah, I mean, we have to look. We, there's there's nothing that there that's absolute. No, that's, I, that's correct. I couldn't agree more. And I think that you will find people and you mentioned that there'll be a rally at Legislative Hall this week and people will come and they will fly their yellow don't tread on me flags and they will wear their American flag button up shirts and they will yell and they will threaten volunteers who come out on the advocacy side. They will do that. It's happened before. Um, those people are going to tell you that they're arguing for their gun rights, but really they've just been a little bit gaslit by the industry. They're really rallying for gun sales because no one in any of these conversations is talking about your gun rights. If you are a responsible and reasonable person, Go ahead, buy a gun. But if you're under 21, maybe you're not reasonable and responsible because you have an adolescent brain. And maybe if you've been a felon, maybe you don't deserve to be also carrying a deadly weapon. And maybe even if you are none of those things, we shouldn't give you a weapon that could kill 60 people in a minute or 19 kids in a classroom in Uvalde. And let me just say, because I think we forget to stay angry in between these episodes, and so they happen again because we don't stay angry. Those children had to be identified by their DNA. They were rendered unrecognizable by a gun that someone bought legally, a legal item for sale that that person bought legally. So when they say gun laws don't work, I say, come at me, because gun laws do work. That person bought those things legally, and until that person walked into that classroom and pulled the trigger, they hadn't committed a crime. We need to do better on the prevention side. And sometimes policies do that. And those children were unrecognizable to their parents. They could not be identified without DNA. As a mother, I know how to recognize my kids. Imagine that. Unrecognizable? With a gun that they could buy legally that's being marketed for that purpose. It's unacceptable. And so people can wave flags at me all they want, but I'm not giving up. Yeah, I, I the, 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 the one thing I wanted to address before we move to the next topic, because I think it's going to dovetail into this, is, you know, uh, from the left, speaking with my friends and comrades on the left, which, you know, I, I have a lot of solidarity with everybody doing organizing. Uh, Wait, on my left or your left? My left. <laughs> Um, well, well, we'll get to where your left is. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get to that. 
Um, you know, there's this idea that, um, you know, and, and, it, and it, this is a left and right thing. Like, that there's going to be some, you're going to be able to, like, steel yourself against, like, government tyranny or fight off the, the fascist, uh, you know. And I, I look, if the fascists come, I'll try to get off as many rounds as I can. But the idea that you're going to fight gun control because you think that we're going to have to fight the brown shirts in the street, you, you have to grow up a little bit. Like, save that. That's the yeah. rube. That's, that's for the, save that for the rubes. It's a, it's a talking point that people spin out because what they really don't want to admit out loud is they like to shoot guns. Yeah, guns are fun. I mean, totally. I've shot guns and it's fun. I get it. I get, right. like I said, I understand it's fun. But that, the, that um, you know, I think uh, part, of, part of being a mature adult is being like, well, I still want to have some fun. Or I want to hunt or, or, you know, whatever I want to do. But there's a there's a there's a there's a balance to that, so that we don't pile up thousands of thousands of bodies every year. So, so I play I, tennis. Yeah. My my hobby is tennis, as all white women from the suburbs do. I'm glad you said that. And, <laughs> I will fully own it. I play myself a little tennis, and if someone told me that my hobby was killing kids in schools, I would. Never touch a racket again, right? This is a hobby for a lot of people. Let it go. Well, here's here's the, the issue. Let, let me let me throw this at you because I think this is a good time to bring up what I was talking about before. The reason people feel like that is because um, consumer capitalism has made them feel like what's important is their individual. They want to express their individuality through the market. And they want the one with the pink thing, and they want the bigger gun, and they want the thing, and the, like that's the problem, because people don't actually don't really care that all those kids are dead, because we've conditioned people because of the type of socioeconomic world we live in, that it's what's more important is your individual, as long as you're expressing your individual liberty or whatever it is, that actually supersedes all of those people. That's actually what I think the crux of this argument is and why it's so difficult is because we've trained people for 50 years to tell them that the most important thing you could possibly do is express your individual liberty and the best way you can do it is by the toys you buy. It's very difficult to get them to see that that's actually wrong. They just did that to sell you shit. Right. Like you said before, right. you're actually marching for gun, gun sales. You're gun, it's you gun sales. It, you said it yourself. It's the truth. And you said it yourself. And, and, that's and, the I, and I think it. people are starting to recognize that um, more broadly. The people who who didn't care before. And I think that's what, that, that's what feels different to me this time. Is that every time this happens, and it happens, more people start to care. More people start to care. And and that's just the that's just where we are right now. So I want to bring up one more topic because I think it's really important, and you can't have a conversation about gun violence and solutions to gun violence without recognizing that nationally, more than sixty percent of annual gun deaths are because of suicide. That's really, really, really important to recognize. Suicide by gun is um, the most lethal kind of suicide. Right? You don't get a second chance from a gun. You might get a second chance if you jump from a bridge and there's all kinds of data out there that everyone who survived the jump is grateful that they did and they haven't died from suicide. They haven't attempted it again. Gratitude comes at that last possible second and with a lethal firearm, it's too late. So let's remember 
that 60% of gun deaths every year in, in our country are due to suicide. However, in Delaware, that number is closer to 50, not because we have disproportionately low levels of suicide, but because our community violence is so disproportionately high. And so we see, on the average, more community violence than other municipalities. But um, by comparison, it looks like our, our suicide numbers are lower. They're not. They're where the other ones are in, in other states like ours. Yeah, I have to say, too, that I think that's another one. Because when we were talking earlier, uh, I guess when we went from community violence to sort of like the large scale mm-hmm. ones, and I thought, you know, suicides maybe one of the biggest or the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 60 or 50, even 50 percent here and ours are more skewed the other way. Um, but, yeah, that's another one where, you know, the, the, the thing that's a tricky one. Because I would suspect, I don't know this, you, maybe you know, we were talking earlier about that the assault with the AR rifles and the assault style uh, semi-automatic long guns, the, the, the gap between purchase and doing the violence is like two months. But I, I, don't, I would guess that, number one, you, you can't usually really use one to kill yourself, it's handguns. Uh, and the other is, I wouldn't imagine that there is a gap. It just so happens that there's a gun in the house, there's always been a gun in the house, and now you don't, you know, you're at your wit's end and the darkness has now um, sort of overtaken you and you do it. Um, I don't, I, I think that's another real unique situation because I don't see really any of this or the time thing um, addressing that. The one thing I do think is that you were talking before about um, sort of like a education, you know, having pediatricians just be like, look, I'm not judging you, but if there's a gun in the house, this is the story. Right. Or and tell kids like, hey. And let's look. take it a step further. There's a gun in the house. Here's a gun lock. Yeah, or whatever. Or I like, have, this is I what have you them do. in my car. Every time I go to a community event, I bring gun locks because if you have a gun, it is your responsibility to store it safely, store it securely. That's, you know, have a gun if you feel the need to have a gun, but do the right thing by it. Be responsible. Have discipline. And it is it is gun owners that maybe are well-intentioned and lack discipline that cause problems. Yes. That's how the curious child, the impulsive, angry teenager who just broke up with his girlfriend, the, the dad who lost his job unexpectedly or got a tax bill he wasn't prepared for. Think about all those situations that make you think, ugh. And, and if you don't have a healthy brain and you don't have a healthy support system, which a lot of people don't, you might look at that as an option, right? Would my family, my life, my, my kids, my wife be better off if I wasn't here? And the kids and the wife would say, no, of course not. I lost a very dear friend to suicide, um, not by firearm, but, um, but suicide nevertheless. And it's incredibly heartbreaking to know that if if I knew more about what was going on, could I have prevented it? Could I have been the person to offer the, the right words at the right time, right? That's a really significant trauma that children and families experience after the suicide of a loved one. And if they could have prevented it because of easy access to a firearm, imagine the heartbreak. Um, we work with Chris Locke who is the um, sort of founder of the Unlock the Late Foundation and Sean's House, which is a mental health respite and support community outside of uh, University of Delaware. His son, Sean, um, took his own life by a gun a couple of years ago. And um, Chris said, 
they have data on his son's phone from his son's phone that showed that he Googled how to load a gun and 28 minutes later he was dead. These are impulsive, immediate opportunities. And if you remove the firearm, you remove the opportunity. You know, gun, you can say it. guns don't kill people, people kill people, but guns make it easier. Far easier. Far easier. And and really, I think the big effort being done by gun safety advocates is to elevate that knowledge, to get people comfortable with it. Um, and in Delaware, four years ago, we passed the lethal violence protection order 100% unanimously. Everybody in Delaware voted for it. Republicans, Democrats, moderates, conservatives, every elected official in the legislature voted for it 100%. Um, so, so when people say not one inch, I say, well, what about the lethal violence protection order? You want to remove guns from folks who are pose, posing an imminent danger to themselves or others. Well, of course I do. So don't tell me not one inch and don't tell me shall not be infringed. Because right there, that shows that reasonable people make reasonable decisions about what the interpretation of those those sentences mean. Um, but in Delaware, we came together to pass that policy. And our organization has launched a um, an education campaign around it. Um, the website is DECAGV.org slash LVPO. LVPO is Lethal Violence Protection Order. And you can look at a video series from different folks involved in different parts of the process of lethal violence protection orders. In other states, they're called extreme risk protection orders, firearm risk orders. Um, sometimes they're referred to as red flag laws. We have that in Delaware, and they are using it every day, and it works. Um, we've got someone from Newcastle County Police talking about their behavioral health unit on the video, talking about how the police serve these orders and, and how they save lives every day. Perfect segue to sort of like the last topic. Um, the one thing that, at least for the, the, the large, um, well, even the, the, the community-based violence and the large uh, incidents, the one thing we've we've seen... Um, that we can say is another common denominator is the police don't help. There's there's no... Um, the police know that those guns are out there and they're afraid of them because they're extremely dangerous. <clears throat> Have you spoken to John Cook who runs the police's group violence intervention program? Uh, there's, uh, I can... I would bet you... I would invite a cop in here, actually. I would. We wouldn't have a pleasant conversation, but I would... Right. I, I mean... I, you see what this says? I really believe, I do. I really believe that. I'm, I I know people say that as like a chant. I I really believe that. I I I don't. It's very difficult for me to say anything good about the, the police as a whole. Now I'm sure I'm sure there are some police that have, um, you know, the best intentions. Um, but the problem is that there's not enough of them, and they're afraid to do anything, <clears throat> other than stay in their lane. So yeah, my that, issue that is true. so my issue true. is I just watched videos of uh, elementary school kids being slaughtered while cops stood around and put and 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 menaced the crowd of parents. Mm -hmm. I saw the guy at Parkland run away. Unforgivable. I saw the guy in Las Vegas, the two guys in Las Vegas stand in the hallway. Now, why did they stand in the hallway? Well, because the guy had a military's nest up there. Like, yes, that those were cowardly acts considering that they're sworn 
you know, police officers. I understand why they did them. That's fine. But I think we need to have a real, real good conversation about the fact that the one thing that doesn't uh, assuage any of this violence is the police. I I don't entirely disagree. And I will also say that um, when we look at gun safety policy, a lot of it is um, reinforced by or enforced by law enforcement officers. And also, especially in lethal violence protection orders, the police are often the ones serving the orders and fulfilling the orders. And in Delaware, they're doing a terrific job of it. I recognize that in the cases, in the examples that you mentioned, in in highly visible examples, the police did not act appropriately. And I am neither pro or against. I, you know, I, I quite honestly don't have Everyone, I just skin want to take, in that game. Tracy is taking no position. She's agnostic no, on this I question. I am so agnostic on this question. And, and, and I, honestly, I'm agnostic on it for a number of reasons. Because ultimately, if I get in a car accident, I'm going to call the police. Right, but they don't need to show up armed. Okay, but you said the police. Now right, you're talking want, about guns. I'm talking about in these situations. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Somebody, if you so get let's in a, be clear. And, and you get in a car accident, you could, there should there should be some sort of a, state agency that comes out, um, either uh, does first aid if, if there's a or you know medical sure. issues, uh, gets the cars off of the street and, and has a safe you know gets traffic back to safety. But until we have that report, agency, correct, we're still going to call the police. Correct. So I want to make so a, what, a really what, strong point here. So, but but the fact that we have the same agency doing it all is incorrect. That's I agree. The wrong thing. But but apply that same logic to education. And teachers are the ones that have to kiss the boo boos and provide snacks and counsel kids and right. yada yada. We rely on public employees to do far more than they should. Yes. In every category of, well, of if, employment. I, I read a great thing in, in preparation for this conversation about uh, the school resource officers, which is a ridiculous euphemism for armed armed cops in schools. Well, I don't personally believe we should ever have anybody armed in schools. So what I'm saying is, if you look at the budgets for a lot of these places, <clears throat> the budget for, say, the police in the schools is, there's there are police in schools armed every day, or at least a couple times a week, in schools that don't have a full-time nurse. That don't have a full-time social worker. Art don't teacher. have a full-time art teacher. That don't have a full-time music teacher. That don't. So all of these other things, but they somehow find the money to put an armed cop in there, mm-hmm. just like Uvalde, somehow found forty percent of their town's budget. And if you look at the budget in Wilmington, you will not be. Uh, you you. It's 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 right there. Of that town, stood around and menaced the crowd, while a guy massacred kids inside. And again, now later that day, maybe some of them had to go to a car accident. That's that could be true. If your house gets robbed, you know you got to make a report. Somebody has to come make a report. That's fine. If you want to have come people make a report, that's good. Call them something else, because having having uh, you know having these guys uh, you know turn up heavily armed with with Kevlar coming out of vans, uh, you know all cranked up. I I, I don't like it. And I, I don't think I they're, I, and, and I think that they, I think, it's funny you mentioned Dewey Beach, because there was a shooting in Dewey Beach just over the weekend. Yeah. Which is interesting, because three months ago, the first shooting in Dewey Beach this year was a cop killed a guy. I know. So, I mean, I, I, we really need to start thinking about, I'm just, I, I like to think about this in a, in a sort of a holistic way, because um, well, the I'm, violence 
I want to bring the, it back the to the poetry that you started with, right? You started with poetry, which I, I, which I find so meaningful. Um, and, and you just said a minute ago, let's call it by something else. But a rose by any other name, right? A rose by any other name will smell as sweet. You can call it whatever you want, but ultimately we do need in our country a service to help people. It should be diversified. It sh- the funding should be broadly invested in different ways in different municipalities. Um, but the bottom line is, if you look at, you know, the pie chart of incidences of gun violence in the in a calendar year, 60% suicide, 38, 39%, maybe 37% homicide, community violence, very and domestic violence. Domestic violence is a bi- is a big one. And then we look at very, very small percentages that are mass shootings and police shootings. The ones that get the incidents that get outsized media attention are the smallest percentage of the of the crisis. And so I argue if we can solve everything but that, we will be solving 98, 97% of gun violence. So it is very visible when police are involved in a shooting, and it is tragic every time. And frankly, it is unacceptable. But I also recognize that doing the work of gun violence prevention is so much broader than blaming any one particular um, agency. Yeah, let me let me clarify, because that's fair. Um, this is not... I'll, here, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll let you in on a little inside baseball. Here's why I do this. I'm not blaming anybody. I don't I don't think... Again, the, the, uh, the reasons for violence in this society are... We, we've discussed about 12 of them today already. So that's not one thing. Sure. And, and and certainly nobody's no one particular organization even is to blame for it. But you know, when I whenever something like this happens and then I have to see Chris Coons go on the internet and say, you know, I fund cop I fund cops more every day. I get off on it. You know, or whatever he said two weeks ago. Somebody's gotta be there to say, You're a psychopath. Like, that's not helping, buddy. Like, I know what you're up to, and I know you have a constituency, and you want to make it like, you know, and you're short, and you're kind of dumpy, and you have to be tough guy. Hey. No, no dude, Chris Coon sucks. Come on. But I'm short. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, we're, we're not talking about you now. We're making, we're going on a, I'm well, very I, short. You might be taller than me. Bring it what back I'm to me, Rob. So, so, I'm the guest. So, correct. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that the, the knee jerk, somebody needs to be on the other end of the knee jerk reaction to, to, to sanctify... Uh, the, the the paramilitary force that we have in all of these cities and states. Somebody has to say it. And so if it's not interjected into the conversation, the only person saying it is Chris Coons saying that he it's a fetish for him to spend money on police. We'll give him more than they ask for. Give him everything. Uh, Mike Brzezicki's the same way. I, I, I really urge people to take a look at that police budget here in Wilmington. And and on top of which, we have Downtown Visions monitoring you 24 hours a day. We have BPG with their black shirt security. Uh, so, you know, it's an over-policed environment that we're in, and somebody in this conversation needs to push back on people saying ridiculous things like Senator Chris Coons does. That's well, what I'm saying. And, and if and when I ever start to really do this work at the federal level, which I never will because, my God, I can barely do it here, um, I, I'm happy to comment on that. But I think right now we need to look at the Delaware-specific problems yes. And the Delaware solutions to those problems. Maybe we'll see action at the federal level and maybe we won't. But people say all the time, nothing's happened since Sandy Hook. And I say, nope, that is the that is the view from the what from the Capitol. 
And you need to take a look at what's happening in state houses, school boards, legislatures all over the country before you say nothing's happened since Sandy Hook because so much has happened since Sandy Hook. And I'll point to one really specific example here, not even in this state, but in this room. Since Sandy Hook, the Delaware Coalition Against Gun Violence has formed, solidified, stood up, and for the first time this year, built enough capacity to have a full-time executive director. And that's progress. That's not nothing. 100%. No, and, and I think, I don't know if the mics were on when we were talking about it before, but we talk about all kinds of different organizing in here. Organizing the network Delaware is doing around issue campaigns, housing, oh, yeah. care, or it's black so mothers uh, and fetal and uh, maternal health, uh, or that uh, the Working Families Party is doing around the Green Amendment or around um, training people up to do electoral campaigns. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff takes time and effort, sustained effort. And so I think what you said is extremely important because you had to, we advocates and activists and organizers had to put themselves in a position to be able to have this argument this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, m- mass shootings happen every day. Yeah. And so it, they can just go on and on and on, but the the reason this is happening is because of the work that your organization has done and other organizations yes, that have supported absolutely. it. And the, and, the, and the size and the strength and the political capital that it now has. So, yeah, I know. There's, there's, I am a big believer in that sustained... Um, organizing pressure. So yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. It, that slate of bills, that announcement was the direct result of a decade of organizing and mobilizing and, and demanding accountability and doing big electoral work. Because we have had in, in the gun violence prevention space some important legisl- or uh, important electoral achievements. And we're not standing here discussing six bills in June if those electoral achievements hadn't happened. And I, and I will say that the some of the biggest ones um, on the Senate side are Marie Pinckney and Spiros Mancevinos. And those are not two people you normally put in the same column of... of we don't. We uh, definitely don't put them in the same I column. I bet you don't. They're in but, two but different think columns. About it. But on gun violence prevention, think about who they replaced and think about the people who stood in the way of progress. And no, those I, folks don't have jobs in this space anymore. And there's right. a reason for that. Correct. Because gun violence prevention advocates said no more. And luckily, we happen to be on the on the same side of the issue as a number of other folks who said, you're right. We got to get those people out of those seats if we want progress. Now, we'll see how well the House reacts. Because we've got work to do on that side. That's another. Because that's our that's our big thing. Well, that's that was my final question actually. So we can get this we can get this out of the way with one thing. We we know that the the house, uh, the house leadership did not change. Uh, you know, we talked about some Senate stuff that that did, um, and so, I mean, I feel like you have your finger on the pulse of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. If I were to, and I'm not like you're, we can kind of like say you just told me on the side and then I told people. But like if I were to tell people who we need to go after, like who's going to be the squeaky wheel here that's going to need to get the grease, if you know what I'm saying? Who are some of these people? I mean, we know Speaker Pete, ex-cop, not a good dude. But I mean, Speaker it's, Pete is is fully supportive fully and on supportive. the record of these six policies. Oh, boy. So who's who's and notably who, not one other policy. 
that is not being heard. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time hearing what you're saying right now. Yeah, I'll you, tell you. you didn't hear anything. You didn't I'm, say anything. I'm but, frustrated yeah. by... by this is, we're, we're cutting all of this in. Tracy's not even here right now. <laughs> I, I will say I'm frustrated that Permit to Purchase didn't get... Um, didn't go the distance. But but I'll tell you what. People have committed verbally, whether they put it in writing or not, I don't know. But there is a commitment to continue working to achieve some sort of permit to purchase situation. We need to do it. Delaware recognizes it. Leadership recognizes it. We will continue to do the electoral work necessary to get that policy passed. Bottom line. My my, my only... And the uh, proof is in the pudding on the Senate side. Yeah. Well, that's what I... That's going to be fun because I hope you... you, you because one of the things I think doesn't happen from a strategic standpoint is there's always this idea that we have to find like common ground and we have to find bipartisan. We just have to do what the other side does and scare people into submission to do what we want to do for them to do what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so I, if 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 you gave uh, Tracy or, or or one of her organizers like a verbal agreement to do something, and I find out you didn't do it, <laughs> oh, Bessie. <laughs> Oh boy, we're gonna. Cause look, we are we are credentialed journalists now. We can come in to leg hall and all these fucking all these offices, and we will find you and we'll find we'll say why did you lie to Tracy? Why did you do that? And I'll be in your. And people don't want me in their face, but that's just how it's gonna have to be. Well, and and I want to be clear too that um, that policies in Delaware. This is this issue is politicized. But there is no there are very few times where it's a straight party line vote. We pass policies in Delaware with most Democrats, but not all. And some Republicans, but not many. And I only need to point to this past year. And this isn't even like, oh, before MAGA, when everybody could get along a little better. I'm talking this year. Now we pass the disarming domestic abusers bill. That's a huge policy. It's really important. Tons of support on both sides of the aisle. We passed the ghost gun ban so people couldn't order kits on the Internet, bypassing every single possible regulation and build guns in their backyards. And Ernie Lopez came on board for that in the Senate. We had the votes and he came on board anyway. He Ernie Lopez to. is retiring, though, right? He sure is. Uh, see that when you get that, when you get that, when you get the R.E.T. People- dot. People, people find you a see, lot of find, courage when they're no longer going to be on the battle yeah, ballot, what a, don't what, they? What a, what, a, what a real king. What a real hero. But I think, but I, you know what? I, I I acknowledge that. I acknowledge it because I think that he recognizes, and maybe, I don't know. I don't know Ernie Lopez very well. But I know he's not running again, and maybe he's not running again because he can't stand that. He can't stand up for what he really believes in. And maybe we need to do more more political work on interpreting what the party's stand for because i think you will see folks come across the aisle on these policies yeah i mean and not just the ftap bill yeah not just that one which is you know i mean this is something that carl talks about that's a carl knows better than i do i i don't really i i I assume that when people like that step down that they're stepping down for the reasons that you said because they're a coward but also they're stepping down so that the person who's going to stand in their place is going to be even more reactionary and sort of like it. And, and so and it, so it's not really – I mean, they're, they're both a political adversary as far as I'm concerned. They're a political opponent. So it doesn't necessarily matter. But yeah. I, I don't think – it's not like, um, you know, we're going to get someone who's a little – who's more, uh, you know, 
has more of a community bent and is more moralistic or something, we're probably going to get a fucking lunatic. <laughs> well, you're more cynical than I am, but I will say this. When I hear out of the White House that they want to see a national ERPO policy, a national red flag law, and I recognize that in Delaware we built one with 100% support, a policy that's strong and has really good civil protections on both sides, I think that I think that bipartisanship is possible. And if we don't have it now, we will get there by virtue of the gun lobby empowering the killing of more people and their families. Eventually, the chickens will come home to roost for every single person who stands in the way of progress on this. And I think it's also important to recognize that we should all assume every time we talk about gun violence prevention that we are speaking with someone who is a survivor of gun violence, whether they have been personally impacted because they survived a wound or an incident or because they have lost someone they love or care for to gun violence or they have experienced a shooting in a space. We should we should begin to assume now that every person we know has a direct relationship with gun violence. And that's a sad state of where we are. But I think I think there's hope. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate the way that it that it happens and the way people come around to it, as you said, because it's more like, you know, how how close to home does it touch you? Do you have kids? Did it happen in your family? All of this stuff. So, you know, it's that's an unpleasant reality of how progress sort of comes to people. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a big push, and I, I hope everybody there's a big push for a lot of things, and and I take what I can get. You know, I I would love to to just make school safer well you know that would be that that would be great we're doing that too and i'll tell you that there's um a policy we didn't even talk about is hb 388 which is the school safety bill that um kevin hensley is sponsoring and because of our advocacy efforts because we have worked so hard to be in the room where it happens we have been able to negotiate amendments to that policy including prevention programming the kind of community prevention programming we talked about earlier is going to be funded through that through that bill. And so um, I think that's another, you know, sort of pat on the back for the good advocates who, who have made it their business to put these really strong priorities in the minds of decision makers. And, and that happens because of mobilization and activism and organizing. And, um, and I'm grateful for all the folks that that have participated in that and are and are still doing it well i'm grateful you came today thank you me too this was fun tracy murphy is the executive director of the delaware coalition against gun violence and the proprietor of brandywine buzz well wait and i want to jump in if if folks who are listening want to find out how they can help advocate for these policies find us online decagv.org there's a join button at the top hit join you will be added to our email list and you will get actions Many, many actions this month. Right now, we have an active petition. It's got around 500 signatures right now of Delawareans saying, yes, we support these policies. Get them done. And we will have specific actions for specific electeds in the coming days and weeks. So um, find us online and and get involved. Yeah, and as always, Carl will link to that stuff. Great. So whether you want to sign a petition, whether you want to come to a demonstration, when you whether you want to, I like the way you put that, do a specific action against a specific elected official. <laughs> that's not that's, sounds like it's my kind of stuff. Um, yeah, click on those uh, click on those links. Take a look at it. Get the updates and, and 
and join the fight because that's the the organizing and the growth of all of these efforts are the reason that we can sit here and talk about them because we've put them in the discourse, we've forced them into the discourse uh, through a lot of hard work and 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 toil. So um, I I also want to before we go let everyone know that we're still doing our uh, our drive for Hal Weitzman's book. What's the matter with Delaware? We have five signed copies of Hal's book, uh, and on the fifteenth of June uh, we're going to take five. Patrons out of a hat, any patron at $5 a month or more at patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker will get a chance to win a signed copy of Hal Weitzman's great new book, What's the Matter with Delaware? Um, again, Tracy, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, if you see me tomorrow in Dover uh, smoking a big spliff uh, for marijuana legalization, just know that I'll be on the left side. Cheers, friends.